Welcome to Mutiny Community, the officially unofficial podcast for Halt and Catch Fire on AMC. I'm Jim. I'm Eric. And today we're talking about Season 3, Episodes 1 and 2, titled Valley of the Heart's Delight and One Way or Another. Uh, I gotta say, Eric, I'm a big fan of both of these episodes. Big fan? I couldn't believe how good, how strong Halt and Catch Fire came back this season. Great. I... Everybody is everybody's like very consensus loves these first two episodes and I definitely didn't think they're bad but I oh, no. but I uh, I don't have the same like enthusiasm I don't think that everybody else has around these episodes. I feel like they're kind of easing into new character spaces for these characters and maybe part of me is kind of mourning the loss of hmm. Joe with any semblance of sanity or <laughs> Maybe the loss of like Cameron being a renegade coder and less of a business person, but like, uh-huh. so we we're, this is uncharted territory, and so I think that the jury for me the jury's still out. Not to say that I didn't enjoy these episodes, and I don't know what it is about Halt and Catch Fire, but this is a show th- that when it ends, I'm like, that's it. Like every time, <laughs> like I want more <laughs> show. So I think that's a great indicator of what a good show this is because I always want more. Uh, when the credits roll. Well, you got two episodes this week, so yeah. uh, maybe you got your fill, maybe you didn't. Um, I don't know. Personally, I thought they came back pretty strong with um, California. I thought, you know, for just kind of throwing us into the deep end a little while later, it seemed, I think it was like five months later. Is that right? I think it was six. Uh, um, six months? Yeah. Okay. That's what uh, they So I, I think they did a pretty good job of just kind of picking us up where... Uh, they were now and not not really kind of dragging their feet too much yeah. with that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I like, I, I'm kind of with you on Cameron. I wish she was a little bit more interesting yeah. this season like she was in past ones. But what they've kind of lacked for lacked in Cameron, they've kind of made up for with Gordon and Donna. Because I feel mm-hmm. like Donna's really coming into her own now, too. Yeah, I just think that if you're looking at these four main characters, Donna and Gordon are a very linear progression of character development over time. And yeah. the Cameron and Joe that we see in this <laughs> season three, they are different. They are very different than they were at the end, even at the end of season two. They are, yeah. So, I mean, Joe is just like creepy and weird. P- pajama pants, man. <laughs> <laughs> right, he's got those linen pants, man. He's got the linen pants. What is pants. up with those? And he's like showing his dick to Ryan, doesn't even care. There's... Is that what happened? Oh, oh yeah. yeah, he he stripped down his uh his suit. Yeah. Sure. And uh, uh yeah, they're the most schizophrenic of the characters, for sure. They are. They kind of always have been. They've mm-hmm. been a little shifty. Mhm. Yeah, and I, uh, whereas and they're kind of intrinsically tied together. That's kind of the point of the series, right? Is that they have this kind of cosmic connection almost (laughs) between the two of them and so the fact that they are so different starting out this season i feel like is is uh it's par for the course because we're we're going along with that kind of these intrinsically tied people who have now completely separated from one another i don't think cameron would even uh she wouldn't even stomach the sight of joe in person at this point (laughs) Probably not. It's interesting how they've kind of offloaded a lot of that onto Gordon this Mm -hmm, season. mm -hmm. Um, He comes back with the lawsuit, and, uh, you know, they have that memorable scene when Joe walks into the deposition room. Yeah. uh, And and just completely mindfucks Gordon once again. Uh Uh-huh. Even though Gordon's prepared for it, and he understands who Joe is, they've still offloaded that very contentious relationship to uh, Gordon. 
Yeah. Which, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm kind of digging that. I dig it, too. I think it makes a really interesting um, dynamic between the two. I think it gives us an interesting place for Gordon to go, because in episode one, you know, we don't even see Joe for the whole until the yeah. very end of the episode. We do get the creepy phone call to Bosworth from Joe, congratulating yep. him on his grandson. Um, but other than that, Joe is pretty much absent for the whole episode, and we kind of have... Gordon down in the basement, you know, blowing dust off of the servers. And I'm like, is this is this is this what Gordon's thing is going to be now? Like he's going to be the unfulfilled guy again and locked mm. in the basement, but then they kind of quickly turn that when they reveal the lawsuit and then now Joe is just completely fucking with Gordon just so he can. It seems like it, yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure that he hired Ryan just out of spite. Yeah. Because, yeah, definitely. Because he just, in his mind, knew that that moment would come. Ryan told him that he's working with Gordon. He knew that the time would come where Ryan goes and tells Gordon that he's working for Joe McMillan now. And uh-huh. that would just blow Gordon's mind because he has no idea that Ryan's <laughs> even talking to Joe McMillan. <laughs> right. It's it's so good. I think they tease Joe really well coming, yeah. out of se- coming into season three. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned the phone call. Uh, about Boz's grandson. How did he even hear about that? We we find out that Gordon's suing him, and we're like, oh boy, this is this is awkward and menacing. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And and then I think he specifically told Ryan, "Look, I have something I want you to do for me, and I'm going to hire you, but you got to do this." And then he walks into Gordon's office and says, "I'm working for Joe McMillan." Yeah, that was very pointed. That was just a twist of the knife, and it it was kind of delicious. Like I like <laughs> Gordon. But I also kind of like Joe in a weird way. Yeah, I I don't I don't know. I'm not sure who I want to win this battle, but it's fun to watch. Well, I just I kind of maybe this is what I don't like about it is that they've turned Joe into a monster, <laughs> and it's really interesting. And I'm not saying it's out of character because this is Joe has achieved his dream. He has the company at his fingertips. He's a pioneer in Silicon Valley. He's making money hand over fist. He's got the giant office. And it's turned him into this maniacal tyrant. And it's just so interesting. Like, think about Joe, you know, cozying up to the the fiction author in Dallas. And, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. when he's had that whole softer side type of thing going on in season two. And now he is just completely transformed into this monster. And right, and so uh, maybe that's one of the reasons why I I'm still kind of feeling this season out is because I I like Joe and I hate Joe as this monster, but it's it's yeah. really interesting to me to see the ways that he is just like Machiavellian this shit up as much as he possibly can. Oh, absolutely, and as much as he's manipulating uh, Gordon at this point, he's also manipulating the public, right? This mm-hmm. this idea of giving away antivirus software for free, right? I mean, it, that's not actually free. There's a cost to everything, right? Uh, and and Joe knows it, and and he's probably you know using it to build his user base, and then turn the switch at some point, and there you go, right? Uh, but yeah, he he is becoming a master manipulator, and I think a lot of Joe's problem in previous seasons is that he felt like a fraud. Mm-hmm. Um, he 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 had this tension between like his ambition and the reality of his situation. Right, and a lot of cases that got in his way. And now, like you said, he's achieved all of it. Now he's just he almost feels like 
he's bored personally. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's he's taken up surfing to try and fill the time and like now he's just screwing with Gordon. Yeah, it's I mean this is what he's doing. It's crazy to me because you know, he remember when he was sitting in that club with his fiance mm-hmm. and they were they taken ecstasy and th- he was like, you know, I have all these ideas. I just have to figure out how to get them out there. And yeah. then Gordon kind of drops this thing in his lap and he's able to build a company around it. But at the same time, it's not his idea. Like this No, it's not. Joe must be at, on some level feeling unfulfilled because uh-huh. he still isn't getting his ideas out there. He's just right. leveraged this idea that fell into his lap and, you know, it's it's gotten him to this point where he's uh, you know, the CEO of this company and he's, he's achieving all of his dreams from a career perspective level, but he's still not implementing his ideas aside from marketing and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Um, and the other side of that coin at this point is Gordon mm-hmm. where, I mean, Gordon has always kind of had Joe stealing his ideas from the very beginning. Right. I yeah. Mean, there's that scene where he's telling the coders about Joe, uh, there at mutiny and, they're like, oh, I thought Joe invented the giant. I thought he was the guy who did it all. Mm-hmm. And Gordon's like, no, no, no. He took credit for it. Right. He got the the accolades, but it was me. I put it together with my team. Yeah. Uh, and and that's kind of always been the situation between Gordon and Joe. And I mean, Gordon's all twisted up. He doesn't know whether Joe's his friend or his business partner or his mortal enemy at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's. I think it's really fascinating their relationship. It's really fascinating, and I don't think that it bodes well for Gordon. You know, they they are setting up a good underdog th- uh, scenario for Gordon because he is so outmatched at every turn by Joe. Oh, but yeah. I don't see how Gordon can get the jump on Joe. <laughs> like even if <laughs> I, I'm with you. He, he's probably going to take a settlement. He's probably going to get a big lump sum and refill his bank account and then maybe branch out and try something new. But at this point, like I mean that's what he's planning on doing right now. But at this mm-hmm. point, Joe is so inside his head that I don't think Gordon has the fortitude to actually branch out and try something new because he's just going to become paranoid like he did with his uh, PC <laughs> company that like other yeah. people are stealing his ideas and uh, you know he's going to be get going and getting lost in parking garages and all that stuff again. <laughs> um, he doesn't have yeah. the fortitude. He has the brains. And he has the creative drive, but he doesn't have the fortitude to actually play on this playing field. Like, I don't even see him being able to go to these venture meetings that Donna and uh, Cameron are going to. Like, he, he's, just, he's not a CEO. Mm-hmm. He's, a, right. he's, a, he's a gearhead. Yeah, which ha- has a lot of value in itself, but mm-hmm. he doesn't get the credit that Joe gets. Right. Um, let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. Do you think that Gordon has an actual claim on this virus software, this antivirus software? Do I think that he has a case? Yeah. Or, I mean, on the face of it, he completely does. I mean, basically, okay. if you're going to say that uh, that the code is IP, he created it. So, therefore, sure. you know, I'm not a lawyer by any means, but when you create something, it has an intrinsic copyright to it. Like and you can mm-hmm. register that copyright in order to make it official, but there's still an intrinsic copyright that that is tied to any creative work that somebody makes. So I don't know. I don't know what the laws are in um, mm-hmm. 
California. I don't know what the laws are at this time. I don't know if code is actually considered intellectual property. But the fact of the matter is Gordon made a product. Joe stole it, made a company out of it. I feel like on the face of it, he does have some kind of of uh, some kind of claim that that is legitimate here. But okay, I, I mean, I, I mostly agree with you. Mm-hmm. The only the only kind of hair in the soup here is mm-hmm. Gordon did give it to Joe as a gift, and he he tries to dodge this question from the lawyer, and I don't think he was very successful, right, uh, at dodging it. He. He says, well, what is a gift? Isn't a gift just a transaction of a sort? No, no, Joe, or no, Gordon. Mm-hmm. You you gave it to him. Now, I don't know if that's just like, oh, I gave him the disc that it's on, and I still own the IP for the code, but right. I, I think there is going to be a struggle over it. I don't think it's going to be as black and white as, hey, I wrote it, it's mine. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if the legal battle in itself is very interesting. Right. But... And I, I do think Joe at this point is trying to fuck with Gordon so much that even if Gordon does get a settlement, there'll be something tied to it. There'll be some time bomb in it or something. I don't know. Um, but uh, I mean, think about like if I painted a painting and mm-hmm. then I gave it to you as a gift mm-hmm. and then you decided that you were going to create a company where you uh, made posters of that painting. Uh-huh. I don't know what the legality of that is. Like, am I still entitled to royalties because I created the work? Or when I gifted it to you, do I surrender <laughs> all intellectual property rights on it? I don't know either, but you're probably right. It's less interesting than the, <laughs> the actual, the emotional battle that's going on here between them, right? Yeah, I mean, the fact that he has his six episode at the end, when he looks at the light, the light, like, is yeah. glaring at him. Um this might kill him. This might actually kill him, this battle with Joe. Yeah, or it could, you know, he could be yelling naked on the corner, screaming <laughs> about Coney 2012 or something, you know? <laughs> sure. Like, it, it could definitely break him as a person. You know what he needs to do? He needs to take the Tandy Shandy and he needs to start a company around mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. He, needs, he needs to just go for it, man. <laughs> Live out your hopes and dreams. The Tandy Sandy. But that's the problem is that Tandy owns the copyright to Tandy. Damn, you're right. Yeah. Uh, well, they they can't take it from me. I'm drinking a Tandy Shandy tonight. I went and I got uh, Coca-Cola mm-hmm. and a little Budweiser. Yeah. Uh, I went all the way American with this thing. Super American, and- super carbonated, super sugar, Tandy Shandy. <laughs> yep. Super delicious. So is it delicious? That is the question. It's, uh- it's not super delicious. I'm not going to lie. Now, maybe yeah. I picked the wrong soda and I picked the wrong beer, uh-huh. but the Tandy Shandy, not not that great. Yeah. I mean, I just, the, the idea of a sugary soda and then a beer concurrently is not something that is is very exciting to me. I have had a Sprite and beer mixed before, but Sprite okay. doesn't have any caffeine in it. Right. So, you know, yeah, good on you. Yeah, it keep you sharp. I'm gonna have to, exactly. So I'm I'm gonna have to try the Tandy Shandy at some point as well. <laughs> okay, I think that's the official drink of of the show. So it, absolutely, how do you go with it? absolutely is the official <laughs> drink of the show, the Tandy Shandy. Well, let's get on. Let's get to Gore, uh, to Donna and Cameron. So, how do you feel about Donna and Cameron over these first two episodes? Oh man, I 
okay, so there's a lot of trouble in those waters as well. Mm-hmm. But I absolutely love the end of that second episode. Yeah, with with Donna and Cameron going in and turning the tables, mm-hmm. saying, "Hey, we want to buy this company." Yeah, I think that was amazing. And that that moment, like <laughs> when she kicks open that stall door on that lady, <laughs> I just that was I lost really it. Funny. That was amazing. That was very very funny. I called it punch a stall. Because she kind of punched it. I don't. I couldn't tell if she punched it uh-huh. or she kicked it. But I gotta try that next time. I'm really excited. <laughs> I'm just gonna punch a stall. Okay. Let's see if there's some dude in there taking a poop. Uh, no, that was it. Was that was a laugh out loud moment? There was another yeah, laugh out was- loud moment in this episode, which was when <laughs> Bosworth has the Robo Butler. Oh right! And they say, "Why? Why do I have to put the cans in his hands? If I have to do that, why don't I just get it myself?" And he's like, "Because he's a butler. That's what he does." <laughs> Which is, uh, oh man, I don't know why, but his delivery of that line definitely had me cracked up. Yeah, he's great. I, I have to say, robot technology, like toy robot technology, <laughs> has not gotten any better. It's been thirty years, and it's still like super slow. It can barely hold a can. It's useless. Mm-hmm. Could barely hold a can. I do have my BB-8 right here. I got the uh, Sphero BB-8 for Christmas. What does that thing do? It's a little BB-8 from Star Wars. Yeah. and it Does just, it just roll around? It just rolls around. It patrols. Is it faster than Robo Butler? It's definitely faster than Rolo- Robo Butler. Okay. But, but it can't gets, hold a beer. It cannot hold a beer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how you can We've make, gone backwards. Yeah, I don't know how you can make a BB-8 hold a beer, but uh, I guess there'd have to be something on top. Regardless. Oh, this, this is the perfect crossover. Tandy needs to build a robot that holds a beer and a soda. <laughs> <laughs> call it the Tandy. Call it the Shandy Dandy. <laughs> the Shandy Dandy and... <laughs> The Tandy Shandy Dandy. The Handy Handy. No, nope, I've lost it. The Handy Tandy Shandy Dandy. And Bosworth can. Maybe this is Bosworth's next career. Perfect. He, yeah, he's a convicted felon. Let's get back to. Um, <laughs> let's not forget. Let's get back to Donna and Cameron. So, okay. how do you see this playing out? This ac- acquiring a company. They go from a startup to now an acquisitions company. Yeah, so once you start taking investment money, mm-hmm. things get a little more complicated because yep. uh, Cameron owns 90% of the company, I think, right now. She's yeah. going to have to probably give some of that up and maybe even a controlling portion of it. Well, uh, once you have investors, you have a board of directors. Right. It's it's going to take a lot of control away from her, and I think that's really going to irk her. I, In some ways, I kind of hope that she can... Because she's not doing anything now. Like, I feel like at the heart of it, she wants to be in the pen with the... She wants to be in the zoo, you know, down in the pen. uh, Writing code and, uh, you know, creating user experiences. And she's not making games anymore. She was so passionate about making games. um, Mm -hmm. And so she's not doing that anymore. And... It's like, is she going to be fulfilled in this new role as a company owner, or would she much rather just be down coding with the fr- with her friends? And maybe the I'm board of directors you. will afford her that. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. I, I, it's tough to say, because at times she kind of flip-flops. At times mm-hmm. she just wants to be working on the code. Yeah. But I think she's, she's a little bit like Ryan, where she wants to be working on her code. Yeah. Like, 
I've got an idea that I want to implement. I don't want to have to ask somebody if I can do it. I want to just do it. Uh, yeah. And I, I just think that's going to cause a lot of friction between her and whoever does the investing. Well, she has this, she has this thing where all of her ideas are the best idea, like right. in her mind. This is the best way to do this, and anybody else, anybody else's opinion is going to be wrong. I mean, the, her whole relationship. Um, you know, she at the beginning of this uh, was it. I think it was at the beginning of episode two. It might have been in episode one. They're kind of bleeding together for me. But when Ryan goes mm-hmm. in and talks to them about all of the security holes in their community software, mm-hmm. she basically just sits there and rolls her eyes and takes it as criticism, as opposed to taking it as, uh, oh, we should probably, you know, do something about that from a business perspective to protect our users and protect our brand. Right. She sees it as a personal insult because she wrote the code. So that's where yeah. the business side for Cameron, it it's it's tenuous for her because she takes everything so personally because it's her, her company. You know, yeah. she can do that, but she also needs to be able to collaborate with other people because the product's going to be a lot better. No matter what, what kind of genius you are, the product is going to be better if you get other smart people in the room. Sure. Uh, unless you're, you know... Um, Leonardo da Vinci or something <laughs> or Michelangelo uh-huh. uh, you know it's or the inventor of the handy dandy tandy shandy yes exactly but <laughs> but that's that's the thing is that she 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 has a really tough time taking any any sort of criticism and she takes everything really personally so for yeah. her I'm like I would really like to see her kind of going back to the things that she really loves to do as opposed to trying to be this kind of business-minded, business-focused person. Because every time she gets confronted by the business world, she finds it very like distasteful. And I'm not just talking about the mm-hmm. dude who's trying to have sex with both of them. Obviously, that's distasteful. Right. I, I think, in general, she's uncomfortable with the formality and the coldness, frankly, of the business world. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're definitely not wrong about that. She... I feel like she's just getting warmed up in season three. Like, of mm-hmm. all of the characters, she maybe got the least attention. Yeah. Uh, we see a very short scene kind of explaining what's going on in her head where they reveal that she's been keeping tabs on Tom, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, through the, the mutiny interface. Yeah. Uh, the, or the mutiny community. Yeah. So I I think they're just unrolling her plot for season three, and we're, like, we're just seeing the tip of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm hoping that there will be better things ahead for her, more more attention, uh, more friction, <laughs> a lot of stuff like that. Yeah. And does this privacy thing, does this interest you? Because it has the, like, I mean, social media is so, is so um, uh, ubiquitous today. Mm-hmm. And I just assume that Facebook's reading all my private messages. Like, I don't even... Sure. I don't even, you know, pretend that my data is secure on Facebook by any means. Um, right. And well, we we have given up a lot more privacy nowadays, yeah. I think, than mm-hmm. 30 years ago um, yeah. when the show has taken place. So I, I think it's a pretty big deal. And I actually think it's going to cause a lot of problems for mutiny down the road. Mm-hmm. Because I, I don't know if you're how much you caught on to in this, this scene with Ryan where he's trying to explain the whole to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot going on here because it became clear over the course of these two episodes to me that Cameron is the one 
like checking, like keeping this hole open, right? The reason she shuts him down in that room is A, like you said, because he insulted her code. Right. And B, she's purposefully keeping these holes open so she can keep tabs on Tom. Yeah. I, I don't think, like, I think she's in there reading his personal information, uh, looking at all his personal chats. I think her hands are way deeper in the Tom pie mm-hmm. than we know yet. Yeah, and I, I, I'm I'm interested. I hope that they bring back Tom because I really like Tom as a character. Uh, yeah. I thought he was like kind of a cool guy. Like how his mom's out of work, and so he's like trying to make ends meet and all that stuff. And he's also a really good coder. He's the only person so far that Cameron's been a- able to collaborate one on one with without yeah. having the friction of, you know, her, the this like insulting your code or taking it personally or that sort of thing. Even though yeah. the relationship did start out that way. Um, right, and he like halfway through it, he kind of had to explain. Look, mm-hmm. uh, I'm I'm mad at you, or or like there's this <laughs> there's this problem, but that doesn't mean I hate you. That doesn't right. mean we have to blow everything up. Right, it just means that there's a problem we need to work through, and it's yeah. something that she couldn't even understand at the time. You know, right? Yeah. Um. So, uh, I it seems like they are setting this up so that the privacy angle is going to be a big angle in this season. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'm interested to see how that plays out because for me, like I said, the privacy, online privacy, in my opinion, is is basically a moot point. Like you <laughs> uh-huh. kind of have to operate under the assumption that if you put anything on the internet, it is now public knowledge forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, whether it be e- State Department emails or <laughs> anything. Right. So, uh, so. And and I and I think you know as people talk as you know the younger generation of millennials they have like no expectation of privacy at all online so that's why mm. I'm interested to see where this privacy thing goes because on the face of it I don't find it extremely interesting because I feel like the privacy argument has been uh, has been settled and we lost mm-hmm. everybody lost privacy doesn't yeah. exist online. <laughs> Um, uh-huh. So to see that explored in the show, I'm not sure that on the face of it that seems very interesting. So I'm, what I'm in, what I am interested in is to see how they shape this into the story and to the character development. Yeah, yeah, uh, and and I do think there's going to be a lot of stuff, you know, with the tension of growing the business as well with Cameron, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, like you were talking about earlier. So yeah, I mean, Mutiny still as a company interests me, and especially with mm-hmm. the 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 power duo there of Donna and Cameron. Yeah. Which I, I really, really liked their scenes this this episode. Yeah. Or these two episodes, rather. Yeah, Donna's great. And, you know, Cameron brought in Donna for this purpose. Mm-hmm. She brought in Donna to add uh, a little maturity to the organization and to, uh, you know, be the face of the company in many ways. Uh, but Cameron's got to be at the table because she has 90% of the company. Like, that's what we found out with Westnet or whatever the oil company was called. Um, yeah, but you know, before they invested, they needed to see Cameron because she owns so much of the company. So she's, I feel like Cameron's kind of the reluctant, you know, person coming along, but she's gotten way more professional in her, you know, approach. And mm-hmm. you could tell that they've been to just a ton of VC meetings. Um, and I, just, I, lo- I really like where Donna's coming from now. She's definitely taken the reins and she is the power driver of the company. Um, right, I don't. One of the things I one of the things that kind of bothered me was was how she reacted to that article, though. Um, the the article that oh, was how written negatively in, she, 
Yeah, you know, the article says that the that mutiny will be around for three years and then they'll fold. And she really took that to heart and is like, well, we're, what if we do? What if we do get, you know, fold in three years? And, right. um, and what do we do not to do that? I feel like Donna has the acumen and has the... Uh, has the intelligence to understand that they're going to need to diversify their services and create new products in order to survive as a company. I don't think that the uh, article being the catalyst for them coming up with the trade function needed to necessarily be there. Cause I right. feel like that kind of weakens Donna's position. I like Donna as the power driver through the, through the company. She is the CEO basically of mutiny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. In a lot of ways more so than, than uh, Cameron for sure. Yeah. I mean, Cameron's the basically the owner, and I guess I guess Cameron would be the CEO, and and Don is the COO. And at many companies, this, the mm-hmm. chief operating officer actually has a lot more power over the direction of the company than the than the CEO. Right. Um, so yeah, I like. What do you Don think about what do you think about the direction they're taking with the sort of eBay like service? Are you interested in watching that play out? I am. It's so interesting because it's kind of like eBay. But there's no actual financial transaction. It seems like it's a swap. I, I'm not 100% clear on what it is. Because the way that they set it up is yeah. like, I'll give you my VHS for your VHS. As opposed to an internet commerce model, like something with with eBay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, they'll probably take it down that direction. Um, it is kind of the, the Forrest Gump thing where now they're at the <laughs> spearhead of online commerce. Right. Uh, you know, after being the spearhead of online gaming and the spearhead of online community. Uh, so there's that angle to it. What I'm really interested in is what happens when they do acquire a company? Uh, mm-hmm. Do they just acquire the IP? Do they bring in the employees? Are they now, do they have to do a, uh, do they have to, you know, bring everybody into the mutiny um, community in some way, the mutiny culture? <laughs> Uh, right, that's that's one of the more interesting things that's happening too. I feel like there's a conflict uh, they're setting up there where mm-hmm. the culture of mutiny is very different from a lot of these other companies. Right, uh, and you can see that with the way Gordon kind of views it at uh-huh. the beginning of the episodes. You know, before he gets to know these guys, he's very much annoyed by them, uh, and right. and you know, Boz is annoyed by them, and like everybody's everybody who isn't accustomed to this and wasn't there from the beginning is kind of annoyed by all of the shenanigans going on in this office. Mm-hmm. I, if, if they were to buy a company and try and bring them in, I think that could cause problems. Especially because we don't know what this swap meet company is. Yeah. Like, is it, if they're, if they're there, if they're created the site for sports memorabilia, <laughs> I feel like the, the demographics of that group wouldn't jive very well with the, the people right. at mutiny. Um, it's kind of like the jocks and the nerds, basically, is kind of how yeah. they're setting it up, I think. So, Seems like it. Yeah, so I, I'm i interested to see how that plays out. Like, how, if they acquire a company, how does it play out? Are they going to try to bring people into mutiny? That's going to be kind of an interesting thing to me. So mm-hmm. that's that's the angle that I'm interested in. I'm not so much interested in just the commerce model or creating eBay uh, because, like I said, that kind of gets into that Forrest Gump territory of, like, I was 
you know, at John F. Kennedy. I was shaking hands with John F. Kennedy, and then I was, uh, on, right. uh, uh, you know, I basically Forrest Gump is like the most famous person who's ever existed uh-huh. because he was there for every major event in the last 50 years. That's kind of what they're doing with this group of people. And we talked about it in the preview cast. I yeah. don't, I'm not against that because I like seeing the progression of technology over time. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but it's the it's the character interactions that really really are what interest me and yeah. how they develop the characters. Okay, All that other uh, stuff is icing on the cake. Character, right. Uh, mm-hmm. Speaking of character interactions, uh, let's talk about Gordon and Donna real quick because okay. it seems like their relationship is back on. Like they're on good terms again. Yeah. Sort of. <laughs> sort of? Why would you why would you uh not agree with that? Well, so first is there of anything all, in these episodes? There is. There's particularly the scene where Gordon comes in and he's blazed out of his mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I guess she does go into the room and sleep with him after after she does this. So I guess it's not. <laughs> yeah. I guess that makes sense. There's just this scene where he comes in and you know he's be, he's acting all goofy because he's because he's blazed and mm-hmm. uh and Cameron goes that was weird and Donna gives her this look of like yeah that was super weird. But like uh-huh. in a almost in a way that she was like making fun of him. Hmm. So I don't know. There seems to be this arm's length thing. And also when the mom at the school said that she was going through divorce proceedings mm-hmm. and then this kind of idea of divorce gets introduced. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. Uh there seemed to be I feel like they're kind of opening the door there that maybe Donna might start thinking about uh about divorce especially as she mm-hmm. you know now she's going into business with this woman and this woman kind of represents that kind of you know feminist of the 80s who is now independent uh is uh, independently wealthy uh very successful in business um and she's not tied down to a husband yeah. and so as Donna keeps interacting here um I'm interested to see how that kind of develops as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I think so, their their story is not over yet, certainly. Yeah. Um, it's also interesting when you rope Cameron into this whole thing because she's been living in their house. Oh, my um, God. Which, Ugh. I, I, yeah, I guess Donna's cool with, but Gordon, man, Gordon wants her out. That would be awful. I agree. As That'd a married couple with two kids, yeah. Yeah, to have just a, another person in the house. Uh huh. Um, I mean, we know that Cameron is perfectly happy living at the office. She oh, tried right. to live at Cardiff Electric for like <laughs> forever, uh-huh. and then she literally just built the office in her house. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like maybe she could have a loft at Mutiny. Um, <laughs> I, I don't yeah, know. That's a good idea. It's I, like I, I could not. I would not be able to stomach that. I, I think there are, there are going to be problems there too, because like at the end of this episode, the whole thing with like Joni. And Mm -hmm. the birthday party where Mm -hmm. Cameron gives her 20 bucks to invite Jennifer so they can talk about this business deal. Yeah. Uh, So this is a problem both for Cameron and Gordon because Gordon knows about it. And Gordon didn't say anything to Donna. Now, I don't know if he's going to, but if he doesn't, you know, it's not a huge secret to keep, but it is another secret. And Mm. the end of last season, all of the secrets came out and that was a huge problem. I think it's... It's a bigger secret than it looks like because of the relationship between Cameron and Donna. They need to trust each other. And I think 
with Donna not knowing about this, Gordon knowing about it, she's going to kind of put some of the, the weight of that on Gordon if that ever comes out. Mm-hmm. Uh, hey, you didn't tell me about this. I needed to know. It's super important. Uh, and the other thing is Cameron is keeping stuff from Donna, right? She didn't tell Donna about this. She right. is hacking into private chats. She didn't tell Donna about that. That's a huge yep. problem. Violating so, the user agreement. Right. I I think there are going to be a lot of problems in those that triangle of relationships there. Yeah. And it's it's not just that Gordon knows a secret, but it's also that Gordon wants her out of there. And it's also that Cameron can't get over Tom. It's also that Donna doesn't trust Gordon. Like, uh-huh. everything they've set up in the past two seasons, I feel like they're just building on top of, and it feels really satisfying. Yeah, I mean, I just cannot imagine why they would have Cameron in their house. <laughs> um, I mean, Cameron 24-7 would be a lot to take, I think. Uh, yeah, I think you're um, right. Yeah, and and you know we're not even we're not even mentioning kind of how Cameron is influencing Jeannie, their kid. Right. Uh, I think that there is some credence to the idea that the fight occurred, maybe based on some influence that Cameron had. I mean, Cameron seemed pretty excited about this fight. Uh, yeah, and and the way that she talks to Jeannie about it, and then yeah giving you know telling her to uh that she'll give her 20 bucks if she invites her if she invites her nemesis to the party and then that doesn't work out for her and mm-hmm. there's there's that whole angle too of cameron influencing the kids and, and she kind of like you know when there's this birthday party and, and mm-hmm. cameron's like oh it's your birthday party you can do whatever the hell you want you can go wild are you smoking yeah. cigars and drinking whiskey yet come on <laughs> like i think there's going to be real tension there too with the effects the influence that she's having on the kids well i mean one thing she's doing is she's using the slip and slide when nobody else brought a bathing suit <laughs> like that's one way to alienate yourself at a party yeah if you're the only one on the slip and slide <laughs> like hey you should have told us to bring our bathing suits right <laughs> also that was like the world's shortest slip and slide was it like, I, I never like it used like, the slip and slide i i just have a recollection maybe maybe it's a false recollection because the scale of everything is larger when you're a child because you are a <laughs> right. tiny person but i have a recollection of slip and slides being super long and i feel like that slip and slide was like 16 feet tops and like didn't have the pool at the end so she just kind of like slid off the end Oh, yeah. I'm just saying, if you're going to have a slip and slide party, tell everybody to bring their bathing suits. (laughs) Right. Because otherwise, you're going to be the the weirdo slip and sliding at your own party. (laughs) Yeah, save that shit till the next day. You can slip and slide (laughs) anytime you want. You got to bust that out at the party? I know, right? Uh... Yeah, that whole scene was so funny to me. That like that was the one that, that was with the Robo Butler. Uh-huh. Um, that was where Gordon kind of takes Ryan aside and kind of takes him under his wing. Yeah. Um, so that was a that was a really interesting scene. And uh, trying to find the name. Her name is uh, Diane Gould. That's the the venture capitalist that Donna is uh, you know, friends with. And that whole thing catalyzed it around that party as well. So that party scene was really interesting from a story standpoint. It basically had like three different, you know, offshoots based on one 10 year old birthday party. Yeah. Um, I feel like we got to talk about Ryan too, because Ryan is now a character on this show. Definitely. Yeah. So what's your take on Ryan and our, in our introduction to him? Uh, so 
this guy is real bad at explaining things to people yeah uh, and relating to people I, mm-hmm. I swear like at the end of that scene i thought it was going to finish by him having drawn a dick on the board uh <laughs> like that's what joe told him to do oh no no just <laughs> I, I don't know i've been watching too much silicon valley or something yep uh yep. It, i mean maybe he's the smartest guy in the room but he needs to get a little more uh people skills i guess mm-hmm. figure that well, out i think that he's i think that they're insinuating that he's on the spectrum sure uh, sure and you know that's that's fine uh i do he he does completely lack social skills and he can't he cannot explain things to people but there are a lot of people in the technology world who can sympathize with that they have their ideas but they have a hard time expressing them to other people Mm -hmm. um he seems like a super bright kid but i feel like he's gonna get so corrupted by joe oh yeah he's gonna chew him up and spit him out there's never really been a true villain in this show Mm-hmm. Uh, like in the everybody's kind of their own protagonist in this show because everybody's trying to kind of defeat their own demons uh, but I feel like Ryan might become a villain in this show I feel like he might become like a henchman for Joe because okay. uh, he already we know that he knows all the back doors into mutiny mm-hmm. um, and Joe has hired him out of spite just to fuck with Gordon uh, and I don't see this thing ending anytime soon. Uh, no, and, I don't. And, I don't think Joe's done fucking with Gordon. So, oh, I agree. And I, yeah. he's got the the key piece of information here, which is the privacy problems with Mutiny, right. right? So, I mean, it's it's really clear to me that Joe now through Ryan has has really it, the leverage he needs to do anything here mm-hmm. uh, when it yeah. comes to Mutiny. He could yeah. he could tell Gordon to sabotage his own million dollar computer and he'd probably do it. Uh huh. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's going to be interesting with Ryan. I'm really excited to see where they take him. And then finally, a Boz. Uh, Boz Boz isn't super interesting yet in this season. Yeah. Um, he's got the grandson thing, and they kind of insinuated that you know, he makes that phone call at that sales meeting and they kind of insinuated that he doesn't even know the name of the kid made yeah. it seem like they're kind of shutting him out, but then he gets the answering machine call and it seems like his son is totally fine hanging out with them. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he's happy to take his phone calls. They just aren't connecting because, uh, Boz is so busy. Um, yeah, and I he don't named know. His, he, he named, uh, he, his, his son has, uh, his middle name is John. So right. he named him after his dad. So that's that's kind of nice. Yeah, honestly, I don't know what they're doing with Boz this season yet. It doesn't I feel know. like he had any development whatsoever. Like the uh, Robo Butler scene that, was funny, but it was didn't do anything for his character at all. <laughs> right. And honestly, it just made me feel bad for him. Like he brought this present. <laughs> it's he thought it would be expensive. a great present. Yeah, it was expensive. He pr- he thought it was a great. He probably thought it was would be a hit. And everybody's just making fun of him, telling him how shitty it is. It's like, well, they have God. seen at this time. I think they've seen Rocky Five, so they know they know what a real <laughs> robot butler looks like. Come on, actually, that's not true. Rocky Five wasn't out yet. But uh, the other thing Boss has got going for him is a just absolutely killer Sinatra. Oh I yeah, mean, head to toe. the The voice right. is on his appearance. He looks like him. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. You throw throw a wig on him, and he is Frank Sinatra. <laughs> he really is. Yeah, put a cigar and a whiskey in his hand. Yeah, and throw a tuxedo on him, and yep, 
he he is he is frank yeah i i thought that was a great way to open the series was having him sing frank sinatra but that's the thing at this point he's kind of uh he's kind of the foil or i don't even that's he's not the foil he's the um he's the clown a little bit so far in this season like he's got the singing thing at the beginning he's got the robo butler scene he tries to get a status from the coders and they basically tell him to fuck off Mm -hmm. uh you know they're they're messing with him they're telling him that he doesn't need to order parts that he completely does need to order like he's kind of just getting picked on and it makes me feel kind of bad for him oh yeah me too even joe's picking on him like joe's giving him cryptic weird phone calls uh yeah do you you think him and gordon are going to go at it at some point because gordon's really Mm. he's ingratiating himself with the coders there i think boz might feel more and more left out as we move on which is kind of a shame because i felt like season two that was kind of his plot as well yeah, and season one, I mean, he was really brought in in season one as kind of a, as a, a bit of an antagonist, oh, and yeah. then grew into, really in season two, kind of grew into this guy, this character that we all know and love, but he's got that kind of dark side, and they hinted at that when he talks to Ryan, and he's like, why don't you stand up and say that to my face, son? Yeah. Uh, this is like, a guy who just got out of prison, like, I what, know. a year ago? Yeah. He's probably been in a couple fights. I don't think Ryan could take him. I don't think Ryan could take him. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I hope that they do something else with Boz because right now I just feel kind of bad for him. Yeah, same it's here. It's kind of a bummer. So I do want to talk a little bit about the technical stuff in the show. I got a couple questions for you. Oh, boy. Um, and it mostly revolves... No, the Tandy Shandy is not real. It's made up for the show. <laughs> yeah. Actually, the Tandy uh, was my first personal computer. Really? So that's another uh, reason I'm drinking the Tandy Shandy tonight. Very nice. Yeah, our first personal computer was an Atari. Oh. Atari PC. It, it was like, it basically looked like a giant TV. Okay. Um, I, don't, I don't know that I've seen one of those, but. Yeah. Uh, so, with the antivirus stuff specifically, like, mm-hmm. I thought kind of the shady thing about antivirus stuff is that they kind of put viruses on your machine just so they could, <laughs> they could, uh, so they could take them off. I. Or they. They, you know, kind of detect viruses that maybe aren't there so that they could validate their existence. Is that true? It's interesting because there is a certain amount of fear, you know, aside from just Joe straight up selling fear Mm -hmm. uh, or the antidote to fear. Right. uh, I, I think there is a certain amount of fear that is packaged with those things. Yeah. When they pop up a big red box that says, halt now or your computer will catch fire. Right. <laughs> uh, that That's kind of, you, you know, demonstrating value, I guess, to the consumer. And, mm-hmm. and I think there's going to be some of that kind of stuff here with Joe's antivirus. He's going to try and make himself important to the users. But it, for the most part, unless you're dealing with some less reputable antivirus software, right. no, no, it, it doesn't actually give you any kind of viruses. It does what it says it's going to do. It just also tries to upsell you. Um, and mm-hmm. it tries to make you think that it has you know, a, a lot more value than it might actually have day to day. Well, And, you know, for a while you would get antivirus software with your operating system. And then mm, yeah. Microsoft just and Apple just kind of started integrating antivirus into their OS as opposed to tag, you know, tacking on a third party. 
Right. But I remember having antivirus and it always slowed down my computer so much. That was the thing yep. about antivirus software is it just destroys your <laughs> the performance of your machine. And it can break things. Like I did tech support for years and the first thing we'd say are is are you running antivirus software? Disable it. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that fixed like 60% of the problems. So why this this is the thing about anti like it's kind of the perfect industry for Joe. He's walking around like Steve Jobs. He got the round glasses now. Exactly. Um, yeah. You, you know, he's like I said earlier, he's pajama pants Joe at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, he's surfing, and at the same time, he is basically creating a company that is going to be the bane of PC owners' existence. <laughs> Yeah, and, yeah. You know, giving him his product for free is the beginning of that. Oh yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, it, yeah. it's not this altruistic thing he's doing, right? I mean, at this point, even Windows is is uh, has so many updates, and I'm sure part of those are security updates. Update, update, update all the time. Oh like, yeah, uh, you know, well, cybersecurity is this double-edged sword because you're protecting consumer, but at the same time you are obliterating user experience. Right. And it's also a matter of like, uh, this is the same problem with the, the video piracy, right? Like mm-hmm. if you want to have true security, you can't actually have access to any of your files because if you have access, someone else can get access, uh, <laughs> which is true security makes everything useless. Um, right. The same way that like, if you wanted to have true privacy protection on video, no one could watch the video yeah. because if they can watch it, they can record it. I mean, it's, yep. it's just, it's not, it's almost not even a double-edged sword. It's almost like the sword is just all, it's just a disc and it's spinning and it has <laughs> just like fins and shit coming off of it. And it's cutting everything <laughs> in its path. I don't know. I mean, yeah. antivirus software is useful, but it, it's also, it's a tough thing to do. Right. Yeah, exactly. And it's I feel like it's a perfect thing for Joe to be doing as he slowly s- like slips into his evil madness <laughs> in his tower. Yeah, there is a little bit of a slimy feel to it, which I yeah. think is appropriate for Joe. It is totally appropriate for Joe. Um also the earthquake at the beginning in in episode 1. So the earthquake, you know, it's there for a couple reasons I think, you know, metaphorically, of course, kind of the ground shaking beneath people it's it's a ground breaking event kind of uh-huh. moving out to the coast uh, and acclimating to this new environment uh joe uses it to um sell his speech on fear at the end of the episode when he's doing the press conference mm-hmm. um and you know it, it's one of the things it it, it shows how genie uh is uh you know not having a not settling into california very well and she's like afraid of the earthquake now on top of not being able to make friends at school and all of this stuff right it feels more like a symptom of her feeling like an outsider less of a cause more Mm -hmm. more of just like a reflection of how she feels yeah i do think it's interesting have you ever been in an earthquake oh yeah i used to live in san diego so we had a lot of them yeah I mean, the last earthquake I was in was probably a decade ago, but like in the late '90s, early 2000s, Seattle got hit with a bunch of earthquakes. Huh. Um, uh, you also supposed- lived in San Diego, didn't you? I did live in San Diego. Yeah. Certainly, um, there were earthquakes down there. No, there weren't. I did not when I was living there. Huh. For two years, but uh, I don't know. I think it was kind of funny because 
it was obviously a very small earthquake. It was just like a kind of a little shake. And it became this thing that like everybody talked about (laughs) all the time. But I understand (laughs) it's a metaphor in a TV show. We're writing here. This is narrative structure. I get that. But, uh, but I don't know. The earthquake was kind of an interesting thing to me. Being somebody who's been through earthquakes, it's like, it's not that big of a deal unless it is a big deal. Right. Like a huge earthquake. Yeah. And I know things. I know San Francisco did have a couple of really, really big earthquakes. Oh, that is true. Uh, I oh, don't. God, I don't think this is one of them. No, this is. I want to say it one happened later. Ones. It, yeah, yeah. This... I think it was eighty-eight or eighty-nine because it was during the World Series. That's when they had the big right uh, earthquake. Yeah, nineteen eighty-nine. Okay. So if this show gets renewed for four more or three more seasons, uh-huh. then we could have the the big earthquake episode. Yeah. It was a devastating earthquake. Like a lot of people died in that earthquake. Oh yeah, I mean billions of dollars, trillions of dollars worth of damage, whatever. Mm-hmm. The it entire was, highway was destroyed. Yeah, yeah. It, it was intense. I've never been through anything even close to that, but I mean, yeah. definitely like earthquakes that wake you up. Yeah, yeah, just a little shaking, a little and shaking around. It is a very unsettling thing. I mean, the one thing you can always count on is when you stand up on the ground, it's probably going to be there. Yeah. And when it starts shaking and you're just not sure if it's going to open up and swallow you, <laughs> that's a very unsettling feeling for sure. It is an unsettling feeling. I, I suppose so. I don't know. I've All the earthquakes I've been in have been relatively minor, mm-hmm. um, but I always thought they were kind of cool to be, like it's a cool experience. Now, that's a completely yeah. insensitive to say thing to say to p- people who have had loved ones die in earthquakes. I'm not talking about the giant earthquakes like Fukushima or anything like that. Right. But, you know, sometimes you get a little rumble, and it's kind of a cool little experience. Uh, yeah. No, I agree. A little rumbling. Why uh, not? I'm getting a little here. rumbling from this Tandy Dandy. Oh, very Tandy nice. Shandy. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, final thing I want to chat about is the facial hair of Gordon, because there are third <laughs> facial hair. Okay. Uh, season one was full beard. Season two was full clean shaven. Right. And now we've got Gordon stash. Is he finding a balance? Has he reached equilibrium? This is what I'm wondering. Is like <laughs> maybe this is more symbolic because I feel like clean shaven Gordon is crazy Gordon, mm-hmm. and bearded Gordon is genius Gordon, and now we have crazy genius Gordon. <laughs> crazy genius Gordon. I like it. Yes. You know, Bearded Gordon is making the symphony and he's creating the giant and mm-hmm. uh, and clean face Gordon is uh, getting lost in parking garages and, uh, you know, addicted to cocaine. Right. So yeah. now we're smoking weed and we're working on a big server. I feel like we're somewhere in the mm-hmm. middle. So All right. I, I'll be interested. I like this Gordon. I'll, yeah, well, uh, we'll we'll see here. Maybe he'll become Goatee Gordon by the end of the series. And <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. So yeah, look at what are you looking forward to in the next uh, next few episodes? What what are the what are the big things that that you want to know? The big questions you have about the next what's coming up soon? Well, I'm I'm super interested to see how this this triangle between Cameron, Donna, and Gordon progresses because I think mm-hmm. they're that's like the fault line of this show mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there, there's just so much pressure on it at the moment, um, yeah. and and, it, and it's growing too. It's not getting any better. Uh, right. I I guess the other the one other place that I'm really interested in is Joe and Gordon. Yeah. 
I'm really interested to see what Joe does next because he's not, he's bored, dude, and he's got yeah nothing but money and time mm-hmm. and vendettas now, <laughs> uh-huh. which is so strange to me because like remember last season when Gordon was in his garage with the trains. This is what they're referring to in the deposition, and Joe comes over to the to Gordon's house, and Gordon is like, I feel like he might go do something because he seems kind of suicidal. Joe is kind of saying goodbye to everybody at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, like they were, they were like in season two, Joe was really reaching out to Gordon and really wanted to, it seemed like wanted to have him be a part of his life. Like he set up the servers at, uh, for Westnet he, for the timesharing. Gordon came over and did that. They had the dinner party. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had the antivirus interactions. They were calling each other throughout. There was a scene where Joe came over and Gordon wasn't there, but Donna and the kids were at their house and there was the big storm and mm-hmm. Joe was like very charming and went out with his flashlights and like stopped the storm um, and fought the storm type of thing. Uh-huh. So, it's kind of strange to me. Like, what is the motivation at this point? Does Joe just feel slighted now because Gordon didn't go along with his plan of starting? He, he offered Gordon to start the business with him. Yeah. Um, and then sat down and did the mind game where he was like, I'll give you 70% of my stake in the company. If you come work with me. So and I, Gordon says, no. Right. I, I think the tension here, I think the, the motivation Mm-hmm. for Joe going after Gordon is that lawsuit and and he's trying to right. he's trying to prove a point to Gordon I think which which mm-hmm. he starts to prove here in this episode where he says now we kind of know what this thing is about uh it's not yeah. about money it's not about the code it's about some personal grudge that you're holding against me I I think that's what Joe feels um mm-hmm. that that Gordon thinks about him but I I don't know that Gordon has the same kind of animosity that Joe thinks he does. Right. I mean, I don't, yeah, well, there's, I think, I think that Joe operates on a completely different level and, Mm -hmm. you know, Joe, uh, Joe has real big trust issues with people. And I feel like Gordon is one of the few people that he felt like he could trust. Right. And now that Gordon has basically shut him out, uh, I think Joe feels really personally hurt, but he also, yeah. his mind works in such a strategic and conniving way uh-huh. that I feel like he assumes Gordon has the same type of motivation betwi- behind his vitriol. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't think that it's there. I think that Gordon is more like black and white. Hey, you stole my code. I don't like you anymore. And also jo- like, for Joe, I- it's about a betrayal of trust and of, right. uh, you know, friendship and and there's a lot more tangled up in it i think for him yeah and it's it's almost uh it's almost sad in a way because i don't think gordon necessarily was turning down joe when he turned down the antivirus uh company right he was right. trying to save his family mm-hmm. and and he didn't tell joe any of that and joe you know hung up on it before he could yep. uh but i i do think joe does feel slighted but you know not not with any real reason to yeah, just because that's who he is—that he does have those trust issues, like you said. Yeah, and and he is always trying to connect with people, and people just do not connect to him. I mean, they can, they'll connect mm-hmm. to him in a way if he manipulates them to connect with him, but like his marriage <laughs> right. failed. Like he just cannot 
he cannot hold a human relationship with another person. And uh-huh. I, that's got to be something that tears at him. Sure. Because he can connect with people. He could sell you, you know, he could sell rain to an ocean. But he he could connect with you on that level, but he cannot have a personal relationship with anybody. And that I think that him losing his marriage last season is something that it has really affected him and really shut him off from the world. And now he's in his, his tower at the top of San Francisco. Um, yeah. And he's kind of lost all... He's lost all uh, kind of hope for, for human interaction. So it's really interesting. Um, I do want to get to some forum stuff. Uh, we have some forum posts here. Okay. Um, I love this one from King Cobra. Uh, King Cobra says, Ryan is taking the Gordon role, and Gordon already Gordoned him. <laughs> I, like, I like using Gordoned as a verb. Uh-huh, Gordon what? already Gordoned him by ignoring what he really wanted to do and just doing what Gordon wanted to do. I, I'm lost. There, there was one too many Gordons in that sentence. Yeah, so basically... Uh, basically what King Cobra's saying is Ryan is becoming the new Gordon at Joe's company. He's going to be the tech genius at the company. Uh-huh. Um, but when Gordon was interacting with Ryan, he Gordoned him. What is Gordon by in this context? Taking so somebody comes, somebody comes to you with an idea that uh-huh. they're really passionate about. And Gordon basically comes back to you and says, yeah, let's do it. Let's just change everything about it so that it's okay. my idea now. <laughs> Right. That's what gardening is. Okay. So uh, I I think that we can use gardened as a verb, mm-hmm. perhaps, uh, moving forward. If Gordon does this again, which he most certainly will. Oh, yeah. The interesting thing to me is what if he steals Ryan's idea and it becomes a big coup for, uh, for mutiny? Because then he's just doing the same thing that Joe did to him. Yeah, he could. Could. Um... I, I do like this one. This one comes from Nathan, who lives in Westeros. Okay. Uh, yeah, so presumably he put this on the back of a raven, and the raven <laughs> flew into the cloud, and it <laughs> went onto the forums. Um, but uh, this is his take on it. He says, um, the show has constantly been evolving and seems to reinvent itself every season, yet still remains compelling and high quality. To be honest... As soon as I embraced the fact that everyone is, is an asshole in their own way, the show got a lot better for me. Uh, and he says, speaking of assholes, Ryan is already becoming one. So Ryan is kind of becoming this new character, but that kind of goes back to what we're talking about here is everybody's biggest antagonist on the show is themselves. Everybody's trying to fight themselves. And I think that's what makes the character so interesting. If you yeah. want to make an interesting character, have their antagon- have the antagonist be themselves. Right. Have them be their own worst enemy. That's how. That's a, a kind of a, a great recipe for for good character building. Yeah, I think so. Uh, um, yeah, and then uh, uh, Greedleby uh, called out the fact that uh, both of these uh, first two episodes were, were directed by female directors, which I think is really cool, and I think we should keep an eye out for that yeah. moving forward. Uh, the first yeah, I... one was directed by Daisy von Schurlermeyer, mm-hmm. and the second one was directed by Kimberly Pierce. Yeah, I, I the directing those dinner scenes, just all <laughs> all the VC scenes are just yeah. they're so disgusting, so slimy. It, I I actually thought like them, much like Donna and Cameron, I actually thought they were going to get the money here. Yeah, and then it turned I out to too. be something entirely different. Like the sleaziest line, it, maybe in the morning we could figure out how much money I'll get. Oh God! Wow. Yeah. 
Wowzer. <laughs> um, yeah, and that's the thing is now uh, you can already see how that's kind of um, how that's impacting Cameron because Cameron basically came to the conclusion that the VC firm, uh, you know, basically shut them down so quickly just because they were women. Now it's getting in her head mm-hmm. that you know it, it becomes a very personal thing whenever Cameron's involved with it. So uh be interesting to see how that moves forward not to say that they're not encountering sexism and you know even mrs gould uh acknowledges that uh that there is sexism at the firm right but uh but it could kind of blind them to what is actually happening Mm -hmm. um and it could have blinded them here but they were able to to figure out why they why they shut them down so quickly and then why and then that leads to the acquisition which i think is going to be really interesting all right, well, that's the uh, that's the feedbacks this week. Uh, do encourage the listeners to go to forums.baldmove.com. We will have an official forum next week uh, for episode three. And uh, what's the email, Jim? Uh, you can email us at mutiny at baldmove.com. Uh, All right. We, we got zero. We got exactly zero emails this week. So got, uh, got me a little worried that this show might have a tiny audience because the show, no. like Halt and Catch Fire itself, has a pretty small audience. Have you checked the mainframe? I I haven't. Is there too much dust on the mainframe downstairs? No, but they were they were playing that mean earthquake trick on the guy upstairs. So <laughs> on Yo-Yo, Yo-Yo. <laughs> I also completely forgot that Yo-Yo came back because he quit right. mutiny halfway through season two, but he came back like at the end. He was on the plane, and I was like, Yo-Yo's back. Yeah. Um. So good job, Yo-Yo. All right. Well, that's all I have. Do you have anything else? No, nope. uh, Jim. Nope. That's it. Alrighty. Well, uh, until next time, folks, please keep in touch on the forums and via email, and we'll be back for episode three next week. Until then, I'm Eric. And I'm Jim. Log out.